Good morning. There's a little pick-me-up for us right there. I'm really glad you're here today. I'd like to welcome you. I'm glad I'm here. I went to the wrong place. But I quickly figured out that we were meeting here today. So I shifted gears. And uh, it's good to see you. <laughs> uh, we're in the middle of a series we've called epic story, and we're giving highlights of some of the major stories and characters that you find in the Bible, and we're unpacking the themes that occur repeatedly that reveal God's plan for us. He, he started from the very beginning when things went wrong, working to redeem and restore the world to the place where he intended it. And so we're pulling out uh, the themes and looking at them, and we're covering a lot of ground. Millennials. Not, now I'm not talking about the generation. <laughs> but we're, we're millenniums. We are talking about millennials. That's the word, isn't it? I knew something was wrong <laughs> with that word. But millennia. We're going through millennia. All right, I'm going to keep going. I encourage you really to get into the Bible for yourself. There, there's a lot. There are great Great stories of people who've chosen to follow God that we aren't able to cover and principles that we're just touching on. And what you see as you go through the characters, God, God, we can identify with them. I can. And he is is using their lives to really show us much about himself. So I, I hope this series piques your interest to read the Bible, learn to get into it, hear God speak to you for yourself through the stories of these these folks. BibleGateway.com, all lowercase, BibleGateway.com, has a reading plan that covers, it's called the Biographical Reading Plan. You can go on there and find it. You could Google Bible bi, uh, Biographical Reading Plan. It'll come up. It's the first hit that you get, BibleGateway.com. You can read through. It shows you all the chapters of the key characters of scripture and you could read through that i might print that out for next week in case you don't you know uh, check it out but um or in case you want to check it out and have it right in front of you um but anyway we're covering ground there's a lot of other good stuff uh good characters in scripture that tell us a lot uh and we're we're walking through like i said the main the main pieces of the story. Week one, we looked at a story that resonates in a conversation with two disciples after his crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus connected the dots of the broad storyline of the Bible. In week two, grand opening, we looked at how God created the world and saw that humans are made in his image and therefore have real value and significance. In week three, fall apart, we, we saw how sin and evil were not a part of the world when it was made, but it, it entered the world through the choice of the first man and woman, and then things began to unravel because humans chose to rebel, and then God began to set out to redeem and restore, as I said before. i was able Friday morning to go to a movie with my oldest grandson. It was a lot of fun, Zootopia. And I've never been to a movie at 9.35 in the morning, but that worked. 
that, that all worked. It worked with his nap time, or not nap time, but he'd be, you know, ready to go then. Anyway, that's what we did. And uh, we had to get our dipping Dots and popcorn, and then we went into the show. It was, it was a lot of fun. But the, the movie was interesting. Zootopia is like utopia. And what they're trying to do is create, and I'm not going to reveal anything about the movie. It was, it was fun. Um, but what they're trying to do is create a paradise where everybody gets along. There's no crime. There's, there are no problems, no things to work through. And Judy Hopps was a bunny. She was the first bunny cop. There'd never been a bunny cop before. If you think about all the animals, a bunny being a cop is a stretch. But she, she makes it through the academy, and she's the first bunny cop. And at one point in the, the story, she says, because she, she made a mistake, she made a, a, a poor judgment call, and opened up some real problems, she said, to her chief, the chief of police, who was a ram, some kind of ram, I think. Uh, she says... I, I broke it. I broke Utop- uh, Zootopia. I really messed it up. And he said, "Oh, don't, don't, don't think of yourself as that as uh, that important." He said, "It's always been broken. That's why we need good cops." That was a really good statement of reality there. The world, since Adam and Eve chose to rebel, has been broken. And what we're looking at in this series is the key lives and stories of the lives of people who've related to God, whom God has chosen to relate to and through whom he intends to reveal what he's doing in the world. Week four, we looked at chosen but struggling. So last week, that was last week, we covered the life of Abraham and saw that God takes the initiative to relate to us. If we respond in faith, he always proves faithful. Abraham chose faith in God and the twists and turns of his story, of his life, and God began to fulfill the promise to make his descendants into a great nation through a son that he that was born to him at age 100. <laughs> Another thing you learn is God does things in his time. It's his time schedule. It's, it's on his, his sense of timing, and it's always perfect. Today we're going to pick up the story of Abraham's descendants by fast-forwarding quite a bit to the events at the time of Moses. And it's really painful to fast-forward that much because there are some really good things going on. But uh, we're flying by some key points of history but what we see going on at the time period we're looking at is, or between, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to fly by the in-between times. Uh, because of the nature of the fallen world, the nation-building project that God was working through, Abraham's descendants, he chose Abraham and his descendants to be the ones through whom he would try to show the world his plan, who he was, and what he intends to do to restore things to its original condition, um, they had some hard times. 
there was there was a there was a lot going on. They have much difficulty. There is a lot of character development going on here. About seventy descendants of Abraham. This was all of his descendants at the time. Migrated from Canaan to Egypt to survive a, a famine because famine had struck the world, and every part of the world was going through this. Egypt was a foreign land that they went to because of a, a man that God raised up to make it possible for the uh, Egyptians to store their grain and have plenty of food to eat. So circumstances push Abraham's descendants to move to Egypt. And in Egypt, that, that one that God raised up to use his wisdom to arrange for the Egyptians to have plenty of food was Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson. So great-grandson of Joseph is grows to a position of influence, and he provides for God's people so, so they would survive. The, the way this all happened, it's really painful to skip past this. Hope you can see that I'm really struggling with this. <laughs> it's, it's an epic story in and of itself. A Broadway play tells a story, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I don't know if you've ever seen that play. But if you want the straight story, read the Bible. That play's pretty good. It, it follows the broad storyline, but straight story you'll find in the scripture. After Joseph's death, it was a, the reason the 70 descendants of Abraham moved to Egypt was because of Joseph. The Pharaoh gave favor to these, the, the family of Abraham and really the family of Joseph because of him and the impact he had in Egypt. But after Joseph's death, scripture says, this phrase always gets me, a Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. So after Joseph dies, the Pharaohs take a turn and they decide to take advantage of the Israelites who had multiplied, who they'd begun to multiply into many, many, many people. So they take advantage of the Israelites and turn them into slaves. They see a workforce. The ones who had formerly had Favor were now an opportunity to take advantage of. And they were enslaved for 430 years in Egypt. The advantage of knowing God is that he uses these hard things to strengthen us. And life since fall of man is difficult. There are struggles that we have. But the Lord doesn't waste circumstances. So, as the Hebrews, the Israelites, are enslaved, he is developing them. He's working in them. He's working among them. Can, can you imagine what that was like? Uh, they found themselves in horrendous circumstances, out of their control. Now, think about this. They're, they're in a foreign land. They're enslaved. And they're trying to hold on to the hope that God's going to come through for them. They, they remember the promise made to Abraham. It was passed down. Moses is the one that wrote this down in, the, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those, he was the author of these books. 
So what was happening is they were passing down these stories among themselves. And so how do you think they responded to the part where God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I can't imagine, but I would think I would be thinking something like, if this is the blessing train, I want to get off at the next stop. You know, I went off this train. I'm a slave in Egypt. And so as they were waiting for God to work out his, his plan, I'm sure there were a tremendous amount of struggle and confusion. And this is how it is with us. As we're waiting, we, we often are waiting on God to put things together, to work out his plan in our lives. And we need to hold on to hope. We need to hang on. We need to remember his promises. Because God is faithful, and he does not forget his promises. He, he always remembers. At the age of 80, now this gives a lot of hope to us older folks. You know, Abraham at 100, Moses at 80. Like, hey, life, there's a lot of life ahead here <laughs> at nearing 60 for me. Um, anyway, Moses is raised up by God to deliver the Israelites out of the hand of the Egyptians. And you find his life story in the book of Exodus. What we see is God keeps his promises from generation to generation. This is a broad scope of things that are going on here from generation to generation. After 430 years in slavery, God takes action to deliver his people from that slavery. Not as quick as I would have wanted it at all. But this is what he says. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. The Lord told Moses that deliverance was coming and that he would be the one God would use to lead the people out of slavery. Moses called to this task. And his conversation with God is found in Exodus 3. It's not on the screen or it's not really in my notes, but uh, or in your notes. Uh, it's, it's a typical conversation that you see in Scripture when somebody's asked to do something they think is impossible and that they feel inadequate to do. He, Moses, God tells Moses, hey, you're, I'm going to use you to lead the people out of slavery. Moses responds, was something like, I can't do that. There's no way. Which is what I did when God called me to serve him in the ministry. Oh, there's no way I could. I can't pull that off. There's a deep sense of inadequacy and this struggle. People throughout the Bible have had a similar response. Gideon, David, Paul, among others. There, this is always the response. God, who am I to do this thing? How, how can I pull this off? And God always responds the same way. I will be with you. That's, that's always his response. You can see it in the call of many, many people in the Bible. I will be with you. I'm going to help. So th this is what God does. This is what we can expect from God as we're dealing with hard circumstances. And as he begins to 
help us work through those circumstances, the problems, relational problems, project problems, uh, struggles in ministry, trying to help people. What we can expect God to do is he's, he's not necessarily going to lift us out of the circumstance, but he's going to walk through it with us to change us and develop us and grow us into the people that he really wants us to be. This is, this is a lesson we need to learn. Moses couldn't see how he could fit into God's plan. He felt underqualified and overwhelmed. And when we feel like this, God is able to do his best work if we trust him, if we cooperate with him, that this is the way it is. Here God reminds Moses in the next verse, he reminds Moses of his promise to Abraham and his descendants. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So what he's saying here is he, they knew they were God, but he's going to have a more personal relationship with Moses. He's going he's to start revealing more of who he is. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Notice what God does to strengthen Moses for the effort he's going to lead. He's already told him, I'm going to be with you through this process. But the thing he does here is he reminds him of the promise that God gave to Abraham. I haven't forgotten, and I will provide the way I have for all the generations. I, I'm in control here. I'm working out a plan. What you see is that the scope of God's work bridges across many, many generations. One generation is building on the next. He's trying to help Moses see that obeying God and leading the people flows out of the past and it sets the people up for blessing in the future. This is something important for us to grasp. This is the way it is in families. You flow out of your past, your upbringing. And the choices that you make today, right now, this is the sense he's trying to give Moses here. The choice that you make, if you choose to follow me, I can use you. And I can set the future generations up for blessing. This is what God's trying to communicate, and this is the way it is in families. If we choose to obey today, we can set the future generations up for blessing. We can do our part in that, at least. They have a choice as well. This is the way it is in churches. We have an opportunity as we grow to maturity to set the next generation up for future blessing. It flows out of our past. We've, we've existed as a church body for 28 years, and we, we have a history. And out of that history flows today. And today, I have this opportunity to choose as a member of the congregation or as a part uh, connected to it. I have, a, I have a choice that I can make. I can obey now. I can give everything I've got and set the future generation up for blessing. That's how it is in life. One generation builds on the former 
and sets up the next for success or failure. We, we have a choice. We make a difference in this flow, a huge difference in the flow of generations. Our choices today have a tremendous generational impact. Man, that's an awesome responsibility, but there's a tremendous amount of hope because God says, I will be with you. I'm going to walk through these days with you. I'm, I'm going to help you make the choice. If you turn to me and trust me, I'm going to help you make the choices to follow me that will help bless the generations that follow. We are playing a crucial role in the generations as we follow God today. We, we don't see this. We don't think about this. We're all disconnected. In our country, we look at ourselves typically as individuals, separate silos, not connected. But families are connected, churches are connected, societies are connected in ways that we don't typically think of, and one generation sets the next up for success or failure. God then expresses his compassion. He shows his heart to Moses. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Here's God's promise. You can see it in that passage. I will bring you out from under your burdens. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And I will be your God. And you will be my people. Moses, next relays these words to the people of Israel. This is what verse 9 says. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. People of Israel, they were beaten down. They were accustomed to slavery. I would imagine after the first generation of slaves, the next generation didn't know anything different. So this, this is what they thought life was all about, being a slave. They didn't know any other way. From the Israelites' vantage point, everything was messed up, and that's the way it's going to be. Nothing's ever going to change. They lost their freedom. They lost loved ones. And they were in danger of losing their identity. Their spirits were broken, as mine would have been, and God shows his heart for them and his compassion toward them in this statement. Now, you, you may be asking, what, what does this have to do with me? <laughs> How does an enslaved people from over 3,200 years ago and God's promises to them relate to me? How do I connect these dots? We experience slavery today and the weight of circumstances being messed up in a big way. We're not literally held captive. But we still can be imprisoned. 
Sin enslaves us, and we're driven by habits of anger, lust, jealousy, bitterness, and laziness. We try to break those habits, and they chain us to the same words, the same actions, the same approach to work or relationships that creates all kinds of problems. So, in a way, we're, we're enslaved to these things. Circumstances can overwhelm us. We can feel trapped by things beyond our control, and then fear grips us. In the midst of those circumstances, it captures us and enslaves us. When we're caught in sin or buried in our circumstances, we most often turn to self-reliance. We trust ourselves, or we expect someone else to come through for us, some, some other human being. Sometimes we don't think God can help us, or if he does, it seems like he's not doing it in his, he's not doing it soon enough. He needs to come through. God, it doesn't look like you're going to come through, so I'm going to have to pull this off myself. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to rely on my own power here to deal with the problems we face. So we try to fix things by controlling it ourselves, controlling people and circumstances ourselves. Or relying on people around us. Hey, you got to cooperate with me because this is my plan. It's going to come together. It's going to make it better. And when they don't cooperate, we are completely frustrated. We can try to prove ourselves. We work harder to gain status so this can mask the problems of our own sense of utopia. When we find ourselves in hard circumstances, where will we turn for help? That's the key question. To God or to ourself or to someone else to come through for us. Good news is God keeps working to deliver his people from slavery. He's still working today. This is what he's doing. This is what it's all about. Moses was an adopted son of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, this, this also hurts because I can't tell you that story. Okay? <laughs> That's an amazing story. Just that little sentence right there has a whole lot behind it. In Exodus 1 and 2, you can read about that. He was the adopted son of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He was a Hebrew. You have to read the story. You, you may know it. He goes into the palace to inform Pharaoh, his... Uh, adopted father, of his intent to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. By this time, they're two and a half to three and a half million people. So this is why the pharaohs saw the advantage they could have if they enslaved these people. They began to multiply. They were becoming as numerous as stars. God was, he was answering his promise. He was coming through for what he promised to do with Abraham's descendants. Pharaoh proceeds to play games. He thinks he has all the power and doesn't factor God into the situation and doesn't consider what God's will is. He doesn't put that into the scene. And so Moses and his brother Aaron, as they take the message from God to Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land, Pharaoh refuses over and over and over and over and over again. He starts playing games. God responds to Pharaoh's refusal by sending one plague after the other, one plague of judgment after the other on the Egyptians. In response to the steady refusal, 
to release the people. There are ten plagues total. The final plague being the worst, it brought judgment on the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. And what you see here is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. How the leader of a nation, as a leader, the way God rules the world is by realms of authority. And so he'll, he'll have a realm, like a nation, a country, a people. And he'll put a leader over that. Same with a family, same with a church body. As goes the leader, so goes the nation, so goes the family, so goes the church, so goes the workplace. This is the way God does it. And what you see here is the Egyptians pay a high cost for the choices of their leader. You see it directly here. This is one thing God wants us to get. The choices you make as the leader of a a realm, an arena, impact the people under you to a tremendous degree. It's the same with Adam, who was the head of the human race. When he sinned, it impacted everyone after him. He was the head, the federal head. It, the word is in Latin. It's from a Latin word, fiduce, federal. It, Adam was the federal head of our race. And now, that's why Jesus can be the head of another race if we choose to follow him. Pharaoh's stubborn refusal to cooperate with God costs his people dearly. This is the way it works. We see this in modern times. The heads of nations force their people to pay a price. God gives Moses instructions to pass along to his people. And there is a core piece of the overall message that we're looking at in this series wrapped into the way that God delivers his people from slavery here. And this last plague. Exodus 12, 21 through 25 says this, says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel, which is the, the crossbar up here of the door, and the two doorposts. So you touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. So this, this is where Passover comes from, that the Hebrews celebrate, the Jewish folks celebrate. It's in memory of this event in their history. So in response to the tragedy of this final plague, Pharaoh releases the Israelites. But he has another change of heart. He chases them. He, he sends his armies to chase after them. They get pinned up against the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea, and they go through it on dry land. It swallows up the Egyptians, and movies are made about that, another epic event in the history of Israel. God again provides a way 
to fulfill his promise. There are major lessons, though, that we need to take away from the, this Passover. God's chosen method of deliverance involves sacrifice. This is what he's trying to tell us here. We begin to see this theme and this thread woven in history. And that, like last week, we talked about Cain and Abel. Or was that last week? That was two weeks ago. Um, that we talked about Cain and Abel. Abel was a. Sh- no, it was last week. I'm losing track, I'm getting lost in the story. Um, Cain and Abel was a shepherd who sacrificed the best of his firstborn lambs. And this pleased God. This is what you find out. Abraham was tested to see if he is willing to offer up his firstborn son to God. He was never going to be asked to offer him up as a sacrifice. It was a test. And then he sacrifices a ram that God provides in the thicket right by in the story. This theme of sacrifice is not a coincidence. It's not incidental. God's instruction for the deliverance of Egypt involves a sacrificial lamb. The Lord is sending a message that points to his son, Jesus Christ, and to the cross. This is likely the kind of dot that Jesus was connecting for the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. When we started this series on Easter, talked about how Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, two disciples were going home to Emmaus. They were on the road to Emmaus. And he appears to them in his resurrection body, and he begins to connect dots. It says, from Moses through the prophets to the present day circumstance, what just happened, the crucifixion and the resurrection. So this is likely the kind of dot that Jesus was connecting. Look at 1 Peter 1. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. The lamb was a substitute for the oldest sons. And Jesus is our substitute. He died in our stead. He died for us. When we accept his death on the cross as payment for our sin, God considers our debt to him as paid in full, and we are forgiven. He can do that because remember how God works through the authority of a realm. Jesus is the maker of heaven and earth. (laughs) And so when he died, when he took, when he was a perfect man who took all of the sins of the world on himself, that made it possible for him to be our substitute. And he died in our behalf. That's what, where all of these stories are pointing. They're pointing to him. And much of the scriptures look back to him. And if we walk with God, this is what we need to do. We need to think through and consider what he's done and realize that he's paid our debt. We no longer have to pay it. We begin a relationship with God by accepting Jesus as our substitute. And this frees us from the penalty of sin. 
We get free from being enslaved by the habits of sin in the same way, not by relying on ourselves or someone else, but by relying on God and what he's done on the cross. For me, it's been a, a process of, over time where I blow it. You know, say I'm trying to work on anger. You know, hurtful words come out when I get angry. And so I'm trying to work on that. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll blow it. I'll say something that hurts someone. And my, my tendency earlier on when I was trying to learn to walk with God would be uh, just to ask forgiveness of the person and then try with everything I've got not to say it again. And then I'd say it again and I'd be destroyed. And I'd spend some time beating myself up. Randy, how can you be a Christian and say those kinds of things? How can you do that? What are you thinking? And I would, I would just, I'd beat myself up for a while till I felt like I'd paid enough of the price, and then I'd feel okay. wasn't really dealt with, but I feel okay. You know what Jesus wants us to do? The way that you really grow is, you blow it, and you go to Him, and you take it to the cross. God. I know you've forgiven me. I'm not going to beat myself up to pay the price that you've already paid. But would you fill me with your spirit and lead me? Remember, he promises to be with us and walk through us as we try to get out of the slavery we're in. And it's that process over and over again. Oh, I've blown it, God. I get it straight with the people I've blown it. I get it straight with God. God, I confess that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I get it right with the people I've hurt. I ask God to fill me. And through that process, by making myself uh, available to him and by using what he's provided, not what I've done, in my own strength, he changes me. He, he's made a difference. I'm, I'm not as tied to the habit of anger as I was. He's freed me from resentments. I don't have to be enslaved to these things. I, I can get past them. Not because I'm such a great person, but because Jesus died for me and paid the price for me. And I can rely on him to deliver me. This, this whole process that God took Israel through to deliver them from slavery is a lesson for us. We need his power to save we need his power to save us from sin and to save us from our habits of sin that have enslaved us. And as you go to him, trust him, experience his grace in the moment, he gives power over time to change. Doesn't happen in our timing. Doesn't happen when we want it to in our own strength, but in God's time and strength, he changes. There are some next steps I've suggested. You can see them on your handout. Um, the first one is, accept Jesus as a substitute payment for uh, my sin. You, you may, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you have never decided to accept Jesus' payment. If you want to become a Christian, if you want to decide to follow Christ, the way you do that is you accept Jesus' payment on the cross for your sin as a substitute for you. You believe that he died, was buried, and was raised on, on the third day. 
and you commit, you give your life to follow him as Lord and as boss. If you've never done that, let us know that you'd like to do that or that you're doing that now, and we would love to encourage you in that decision. We'll send you some, some things that would really help. Next step is also to continue to rely on him to free you from slavery to sin. Maybe you've been all bound up. You've been trying in your own effort to change. You've been, you've been beating yourself up, paying the price yourself, and trying to, by your own power, get out of that slavery to sin. Stop it. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Just, just give it to Christ. Ask him to help you. Ask him to change you. And rely on him to free you from, from the slavery to sin. If you would, take a moment to please continue filling out the connection card uh, that's in your program. And the offering will be received here in a, in a few minutes immediately after I pray. And you could drop that in the offering. That would be great. Um, next week we're going to look at life's a battle. And the question we're going to answer next week is, what can we expect to face as we set out to claim God's promises for ourselves? We're starting to get a picture of what we can expect God to do, what our part of that is, how do we relate to him, how does he give us the freedom, how does he come through on the things that he's promised to do, which he always does. This this time, next week, we're going we're gonna to look at what do we do? What, what do we expect to face as we set out to claim his promises? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word that really does help us, frees us. And it changes our minds, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to let it change our minds. If we will, change our minds to match what you want and the way you think you can free us from the slavery that we're in. So we ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.